Hello and welcome to the Next in Line podcast where we are helping to prepare you for whatever is next in line. As always, I am your host, Chance Pitts, and I would like to thank you for tuning into this episode. Guys and gals, welcome into another exciting interview episode with the one and only Dan Gilliam. We're also joined by my dad, Mr. Billy Pitts, for some commentary as well. Um, but before we dive into that episode, guys, and that awesome conversation we were able to have with Dan, I want to take care of the housekeeping. If you receive value from this episode or any other episode of the Next in Line podcast, I would ask that you share the show with like-minded individuals who could receive the same kind of value. That's the number one way for us to grow and to reach a larger audience and, in effect, help more people, guys. That's the number one thing that we're out here trying to do is help as many people as possible see their full potential. Now, along with that, another way you can help us grow this platform and this movement is by leaving us a like, comment, subscription, rating, or review, or whatever other kind of interaction your platform lets you do. Now, if that's YouTube, you can comment, like, subscribe. Spotify and Apple Podcasts both have uh, rating areas you can drop ratings. I think Apple Podcasts also has a review section as well. So if you're feeling generous, help us out there, guys. Help us reach that larger audience. Now, also, another housekeeping thing is we do have social media, guys. You can keep up with all the crazy stuff we have going on and reach out to us. Shoot us your uh, questions, comments, and concerns to our DMs. Those platforms are Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and the handle is at Next in Line Development on all three of those platforms. We'd be glad to hear from you there. We're glad to answer any questions and help out, out however we can. Now, guys, the last thing I want to do is run through a few announcements. We do have some running events coming up this year that I want to keep in front of everybody if you're interested in diving into that field. Uh, Ricochet's Riot is coming up on June 10th over in Colleen, Texas. We'll have a couple runners out there in the 50K, uh, a couple in the 5K and the 10K, um, and maybe a couple more sprinkled in from the sounds of it. But again, that's June 10th. If you're thinking about doing that one or interested, reach out to us. Let us know. We'll be happy to uh, point you in the right direction, get out there, and uh, help you get through that race. Now, next, guys, we're going to have the Habanero 100 Relay. That's August 12th over in Cat Spring, Texas. We ran the 100-miler there last year, and we're returning for the relay with a few teams. There's two options on the relay. There's the 100K, which is a 62-mile total, and there's the 100-miler, which is going to be a total of, I think, five, six-mile laps per person. Um, that's a team of four. You can cut that down to four laps each if you jump up the teammates to five. Um, so if you're thinking about doing that, guys, it's a little bit of a commitment, a lot of laps running out there and a lot of miles covered, but it breaks it down into small bite-sized pieces, uh, and it'll be awesome to get some of y'all out there. We do have a few teams, like I said, getting ready to sign up for that thing. So reach out on any of the platforms of social media I previously mentioned if you want to get involved in that. Next, guys, the big event I have going on in my running schedule for this year is the KD225 over in Clinton, Missouri on October 23rd. I'm super excited. I will actually be joined by a couple of people, uh, including Dan Gilliam, the guy that we have about to tell y'all an awesome story about the Coconut 250 and his life here in just a couple seconds. Um, he'll be joining me out there running that race as well, so it'll be good to see him and his fiance out there on the course with us. Next, guys, we have, and lastly, I should say, the Brazos Bend 100 on December 2nd over in Needville, Texas. I don't know that I'll be running that race, but I'll be out there with a group of great people supporting Michael Ruiz as he takes that 100-miler on, and possibly one or two more people from our little group here at Next in Line. Um, so super excited about that, super excited to help him get across the finish line on his first 100-miler. Um, and there's several different distances out there, guys, for anybody that wants to run one of those races as well. Uh, out at Brazos Bend. I encourage you to sign up early because they do fill up pretty quick, uh, but I think they have events all the way from the 5K up, and uh, we'd be happy to help crew you through that or help you with encouragement or motivation or however we can do that, guys. But that pretty much rounds out the running events for today. Now let's dive into a little bit about Dan. We'll tell the story about how we met Dan, but it was very brief. Uh, this was kind of a wild commitment for us to go out and pace him for the Cocodona 250, uh, the last uh, 60 miles, I should say, or 70 miles or so. But 
It was an awesome experience, and you get to hear the full story. You heard the Pacer side from me and my dad in the previous episode. However, we are getting to sit down with Dan and talk about that race from start to finish. We're going to break it out into two different episodes of part one and part two because we did get a little bit long-winded, but it's a great story with a ton of exciting things that happened within it um, and big ups and downs and and just really, really interesting conversation that goes on about this great race. But not to mention uh, the other things that we talk about in there as well, just Dan and the kind of guy he is and how he got to run running these crazy length ultra marathons. Um, but at one point he weighed 280 pounds guys. Now he's out here running these crazy races. And in his own words, at points in his life, he felt like life was going nowhere for him. And he was just kind of comfortably numb where he was in life, not pushing the envelope at all or striving for these big goals. And he had this depression about life and he was just generally unhappy as hell uh, to quote his own words so it's awesome to see him out there accomplishing huge things and making massive changes and motivating so many people and inspiring so many people out there on the trails and like i said guys we'll have the privilege of running a race over at the KD trail to 225 in missouri this october so very excited to share the trail But guys, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this episode with the one and only Dan Gilliam. Well, a big welcome into the podcast to Mr. Dan Gilliam, just knocked out and completed the Cocodona 250 Ultra Marathon in Arizona. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Good to see you again. Absolutely. It's uh, It's been, what, just over a week since you finished that thing up now? Yep, on the 5th, so it's a little over a week. That's awesome. Joined also by my dad, Mr. Billy Pitts. He was out there helping pace, so we'll get him uh, We'll get him in there for some commentary as well on this. So welcome, Dad. Glad to be here. Sounds good. Well, guys, let's go ahead and dive right in. Dan, uh, I really want to kind of get into just overall um, – who you are, what you do, um, how you got into running these crazy races, um, just a little bit of history so so people can kind of put two and two together as they hear the story of Cocodona. All right. We'll dive right into the deep stuff right at the beginning. There we go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, just originally back in 2019, um, I was going through a lot in my life with marriage and just not being in a good place. Um and I had that that summer. I had a black lab that got into some poisons, some slug bait, and he ended up um, dying from it. Ended up going to a stroke, and it just really made me think about like what I was doing in my life and my responsibilities, and you know who I was, and just just questioning all kinds of stuff about myself. And it all started with a five mile hike. One day I was just like, I'm gonna go see if I can walk five miles, and I hiked up the hill and, you know, emotionally just went ahead and did five miles. And looking back at it now and the pain I had, I mean, I feel like I blew my Achilles out that day just doing five-mile hike. And um, <clears throat> and then just started hiking and adding miles. And that year, um, I just challenged myself to just – I was like, I'm going to do 100, 100 hikes this year. Um, and then realize there's so much green space right here in the Bay Area – and i just started putting these hikes together and just going you know five six seven miles whatever it was and then i realized that on instagram there was a 52 hike challenge that everybody was doing and i was like oh man i i really overshot this There's, <laughs> i'm trying to do 100 hikes and how am i going to do that everybody else is doing 52 hikes so i had a little bit of doubts and i just kept going and i remember ending in lassen national park with my 100th hike and i put about 700 miles in that year. So averaging about seven miles really on those hikes and they range anywhere from three to, I think 15, 18 miles at the most at that time. And um, those distances just seemed crazy at that that time. And um, I over the years, I started mountaineering, doing mountaineering stuff. I was backpacking a lot. I was going long distance backpacking. And I got up to a day hike of like 28 miles. And then I met Grace in 2000, 2021. 
And she said, hey, you want to go pace this guy in Moab? And I barely knew her. I barely didn't know him at all. I never met Todd Flavin. And I was like, sure, I guess. What is it all about? And I had no idea what, what we were getting ourselves into. Just kind of, I ended up pacing him two sections, about 50 miles, two separate sections. And um, just that whole year, I was like, I think I could do this. So I was just like, you know, I just, I built up from really, really nothing to, to where I'm at now. And um, backtracking a little bit at the end of um, 2019, I was already in pretty good shape, but I took in the decision to go ahead and get sober because my son was dealing with a lot of um, anger and depression and all kinds of just, you know, teenage year stuff, you know, 17, 18 years old. And, um, I didn't didn't know how to get the time off of work. So I was just like, I'm just going to go into an alcohol program and stop drinking. I'll better myself and I'll set a good example for him. And that's what I did. And, and it just kind of, everything just kind of erupted from that point on of being sober, of just trying to be my, the best version of myself really. And I just kept challenging myself with one thing after another. And that's where, where we got, where we're at today. You know, I, I ended up doing Moab. Well, I started with Bigfoot um, last year, last August, and really didn't have much experience at all. And Went in there raw, didn't think I needed a crew, didn't need no pacers. You know, Grace was there and she didn't really have too much of a clue. She did her best with massages and and helping with my feet. She really didn't have any idea about taping feet at that time. We were pretty much just winging it. And I got into 180 into that race and could have could have finished it, but I didn't know what my body was capable of at that time. Um, I didn't know that the pains that I was feeling were going to be permanent or if I was going to you know, ever come back from, from that Bigfoot was just, it was insane. And, uh, yeah. And then from there went right into Moab really with no training. Cause I was still hurting from Bigfoot. I was down from Bigfoot from what happened there. And I was just trying to protect the body and just, just go with the pace that I needed to go. And I stayed just ahead of the cutoff times and I ended up finishing it and dead last, but I finished it. So hey that's what matters getting across and, the line right and then we're, we're taking us to where we're at with cocodona i mean i guess we could go ahead and fall into more questions with that so we can fall into cocodona and talk about where where that's at now <laughs> and Absolutely. also fall back on those too yeah i was gonna ask you uh what's the the first ultra marathon you did what was that race was it moab or or i mean uh bigfoot um, well, the first ultra I did, that was kind of a funny story, too, because um, I really just did a half marathon in Auburn, and it was supposed to be a full marathon, and I dropped down to a half because I was having some pretty serious IT band issues, and I didn't really want to flare it up any worse. And then um, really in, what was it? It was, it was June of last year. June of last year, there was a... An 18-hour endurance event in Ashland called the Tempest, I believe. And I looked it up, and it was small. There wasn't that many people there, and it was one of those just mental games. It was 1.1 miles around this park on pavement, on concrete, and a little bit of like tan bark as you walk through the park. And there was kids' baseball games and soccer games going on, and all that. And when I when I looked it up, I'm, I told Grace, I was like, oh, look, we're up because we were up north at my parents' house up by Mount Shasta. And I was like, look, there's an endurance event. I should do the 12 hours. And Grace says, just do the 18. <laughs> and and I did it and ended up doing 70 miles um, in 18 hours and just just beat my feet up. My feet were beat up. My toe, toenails were tore up. I was in pretty bad shape, but I just just toughed it out it was something new and um, mentally just got through that and the interesting thing about that is, is i was still having the it band issues and during that race it stopped and i no longer had them after having them for five or six months which it's a mystery of this sport of sometimes your injuries will dissipate when you least expect them to, or, or in, in places you least expect them to 
<laughs> no kidding. Absolutely. I've had that happen myself. Yeah. But they'll also resurface new ones where they least expect yeah. them to. That too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not the truth. Um, man, and then so moving forward from that, so 18-hour uh, endurance challenge, doing around 70 miles there, um, then going to Moab after linking up with Todd, um, uh, after meeting Grace and everything, and then deciding just to kind of, it sounds like go all in and taking on a lot of these different races and challenges. It doesn't seem like you shied away from anything. Um, so coming up on, on getting into Moab, uh, I know you'd ran a couple hundred milers in there as well. Um, how did those prepare you getting ready for something like Moab? Was it kind of even, even something you were worried about going into, you knew you were going to be able to get it done or, or were you? Well, actually Moab, I did before the, before the hundred miles. Yeah, That's so, right. the, so, so the timeline was I paced Todd without doing any, and, and then the endurance, my first endurance event was in, in Ashland in 2022. And then from there, I just was doing training with the best I could and went right into Bigfoot. And Bigfoot was, was a beast. It was 40,000 plus feet of elevation gain, um, ups and downs across, you know, Mount St. Helens, volcanic area where it's just exposed rocky and hot the first day and then this gets into wooded areas rivers a lot of sand and just a lot of elements that just tear you up it's and and i was thinking washington was going to be cooler down in the trees and it wasn't it was humid it was everything was just kind of trapped in there there was no breeze really and it, it was definitely a challenging race but so what made you pick that race after doing an 18-hour endurance and then you go straight, I'm going to do a 200-mile race? What, Where did that come from? Well, the the crazy part of that was is I was on the Bigfoot wait list, and that was a race I really wanted to do because I've kind of, you know, adopted the name with backpacking and on Instagram as Bigfooted Hiker or Bigfooted Ultra. Yeah. And I just had this – and plus i really love washington the state of washington really just captured my eye with all the trees and stuff and bigfoot was on my list it was the one i wanted to do and but i was on the wait list and i was like well i want to do one of them so i got in moab and i was already signed up for moab and then up pops this email on the wait list like a couple months out from bigfoot you've been selected from the wait list and i was like well we're just gonna do two of them this year then <laughs> And uh, it, it was almost really discouraging to to DNF that. And at the times in that big Bigfoot, when I finally did all the straws came together and just broke my back, literally just everything stacked against me. I was like, man, these people are crazy. These ultra runners are nuts. I'm never doing this crap again. Take take me off of the Moab. I'm not doing nothing anymore. And then a couple of days rest. And I don't even think it was that. I think it was literally when I woke up the next morning, I was like, I'm doing this next year. I'm coming back and I'm doing it again. That's awesome. No, that's that's really cool, man. And and I do want to get in before we dive full into Cocodona. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how we met because it sounds like uh, your pacing adventure with Todd is right up the alley of how we all got together as well um, going into Cocodona, um, which for those of y'all that don't know, I ran Habanero 100 last year in uh, Cat Spring, Texas, over near Sealy. Um, and Todd was out there, and that's how we connected with Todd. He went out there alone in his, uh, in his hiking boots, ran his uh, to run that 100-mile race. Um, and my crew kind of offered uh, their hand to him and kind of adopted him, let him come out of the tent, cook some food for him and stuff. And uh, through Todd, we were connected with Dan here. Um, and then dad ran his hundred mile race, the Rocky raccoon 100 back in February. Um, and Dan was out there running it as well. Both of them were able to knock out that race. Um, and in the process for about what, not even a minute, I think Dan, um, we, yeah, uh, maybe that. And, and we all just happened to be there at the same time. Your dad and everybody was, was there when we, when I came through and, I was thinking, how the heck am I going to find these guys? And I look over because I didn't even really know what you guys looked like 
completely and i looked over and i was just like oh that's them right there i know it is i miss hundreds of people i mean rocky raccoon was a a big event there was a lot of people out there and that one was actually my first 100 too so oh that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah you officially a, <laughs> a little different format yeah um, no but yeah like you said we we just happened to catch each other on that loop and link up for literally one minute and have a conversation um and next thing i know you shot us a message because we had connected on social media um he shot us a message and said, hey, would y'all be interested in coming to Pace for Cocodona? And we, like I said, didn't really know you, um, but man, it would a, what an awesome decision to go out there. And it's been just spectacular, just how close we've gotten and uh, the experience as a whole, at something that really is like nothing else I've ever been able to do. So um, kind of a little cool story of how we tell all tied in together, but Prior to all of us getting out there and pacing you for Cocodona, um, man, you had 190 miles on us by the time we linked up with you. So what I really want to do and what we haven't been able to do yet is dive into those first 190 miles of the race before we all got in there. And I want to just kind of relive some of that with you, see what it was like going through some of those tough sections, the ups and downs, the peaks, um, and just dive into your race as a whole, boss. So um I guess the best place to start is uh is race day that morning um what time uh what time do you roll up to the starting line that morning i think we got there about 4 15 about 45 minutes before the race started and just started stretching in the parking lot a little bit and went over and picked up the tracker and i've seen some other people roll in got to see west plate come in and rolled rolled right up next to us and shake his hand a little bit and i called him mr cocodona and i was trying to give him a compliment and I, i'm assuming he took it that way and I, I say that because he does he does a lot really for cocodona with mapping and um, videos and just just an all together great person himself and his fiance or girlfriend or whatever she was and they're both just really good people. So when, as soon as he pulled up, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a good day. West Plate pulled ne up next to us. It's it's going to be it's going to be good. Um, the day before, got to meet Chad Wright, which was one of the people that I would was looking forward to seeing out there, and that was just you know circumstance that he just had to pop up for the the pre race day before check in and got a picture with him, and he was good people just to talk to for a minute and see his story at Cocodona now and our story and it's just it's interesting how people's paths cross even for a brief period of time <laughs> you know absolutely no Chad Chad's a cool guy we've been fortunate enough to get some time with him as well um, and experience uh, just what the kind of person he is right and, and what they stand for with the 37 project and it's like you said good good people um, mm -hmm. and I guess moving into it as well uh getting ready to toe the line for a 250 mile ultramarathon especially after um the experiences with moab and the experience out of bigfoot were you excited were you nervous were you kind of dreading the start um i know there's a there's a heavy section in the beginning that's really hot high elevation all that good stuff yeah i was all those all those feelings were there they're present um I acknowledged it and I think I kind of just broke it down in my head enough times to to know what my race strategy was and know what to expect in a sense I didn't obviously never knew been on the course I didn't really have any clue what the course looked like I imagine the bottom section being a bunch of cactuses and just open space really and that's exactly what it was um and for it it went up it went up quick um it was rocky, the jagged rocks, rocks the size of softballs that you kick in, kick into your ankles and stuff. And it was bottlenecked at first, but with any 200, that's that's going to happen. And there's 250 miles to go, so I was just real patient with that and trying to watch my effort pace on my watch and just not try to push myself too hard and get my heart rate up in the heat. Um, and just really get to the first aid station where we were required to get four liters of water or at least have the capacity for four liters of water. Um, and just 
just really watch water consumption, watch the heart rate, um, take take rest when I felt like I was, you know, getting fatigued. Uh, nutrition, I tried to stay on top of my nutrition in that section, but really it was just mainly about getting through to Crown King that first day in in one piece because I knew I had a lot, a lot of race ahead of me. And we came across, well, the water station, first one was at eight miles. Oh, no, I guess that wasn't the water station. That was the, the check station. So there was a check station at Cottonwood that had actually moved up to eight miles instead of 11, which was not a big deal, and just grabbed some nutrition there. And then the water station, I believe, was – I'm not exactly sure what mileage what that was. And it was um, – they basically monitored and let you take a liter. There was a guy there, and he was just giving a liter of water out. There was also some other um, – don't know their name, but somebody let me use their filter and I was able to filter out some water and add some additional water there. I just took my time there, cooled off and uh, changed, changed my socks. And uh, yeah, and then on, on the Lane Mountain, um, I don't particularly remember that aid station. And I think that's mainly because I was just looking forward to get to Crown King and see Grace for the first time and get her to look at my feet, retape them and do whatever but my feet were relatively in pretty good shape um i was feeling pretty good at that time wasn't wasn't feeling too bad absolutely and i've heard a lot of people talk about uh that first section between the beginning of the race and crown king where it's just kind of pretty adverse conditions all the way around right sun beating down on you it's in the 90s mid 90s i think um, a lot of elevation to climb up. And then, like you said, the, uh, the softball sized rocks that were just kind of hard to navigate through and had to worry about ankles and tweaking knees and all that good stuff. So, um, I've heard that from a lot of people just having to be very, very intentional with the effort that you put in through that first section was apparently a really, really big thing for that race. Um, and then going up to crown King, um, do you know kind of when you got up to that aid station? Was it was it in the afternoon, the evening, on that first day, or um, I, I think it was it was in the evening. I think it was about five or six. I estimated that it was going to take me about twelve hours to do that section. I I, I pretty much maintained the three mile an hour pace right around there that I wanted to at the beginning. Didn't push myself too hard, which I was very happy with at, at that time with considering the elevation gain and stuff i was i was averaging i think from my watch was you know 15 16 minute miles at, at, at places and I, f I felt pretty good pretty good about that time it was a section that took a lot of people out i mean we've seen a lot of people with heat exhaustion people that didn't get the right amount of water that you know, multiple factors of being rushed or being letting that adrenaline take over and pushing themselves a little hard. And, and before you know it, you're vomiting, not holding nothing, no water down and not no having no food down. And at that point in that race, it's as hard as it is. It's that's pretty much it for most people. If you, you deal with some adversities like that to where you can't get nutrition and you can't hold water down, it's that's not good. <laughs> So you were able to maintain, that was going to be one of my questions. Uh, you were able to maintain pretty good hydration and nutrition throughout that entire section. Came out of it feeling pretty good. Yeah, I would say that was probably my best section because I prepared for it and thought about it and kind of had a game plan for it. After that, it kind of was hit or miss or not really downhill, but I mean, I think I did decent, but I definitely could have still feel like I could have done better on the nutrition part of it. Um, in between aid stations it's just but it's really easy for me to just eat a lot at aid stations especially if they have good food i i'll ask for they'll ask me what i want and i'll just tell them one of everything and so sometimes they don't like giving it to me but i'm like i will eat it trust me yeah absolutely i remember that from some of the uh the later aid stations that was pretty pretty awesome to see and they they complied in those later spots in the race pretty well with with giving you some food um and then coming out of coming out of crown king i mean even we saw a lot of trouble from like guys that are very experienced with this race um i think prestige struggled through that area and then got hung up a few 
probably an aid station or two later, I think. He, he went out of the race pretty early or went down pretty early with some issues. Um, and I know McKnight, also the, the winner of the race, struggled as well uh, through those early sections too. So it just tell, shows you that you can't really predict what's going to happen or how, and, and you can really very quickly get yourself behind on one of those two things or both. Um, yeah, or, or injuries with the rocks and just, you know, banging, wear and tear on your back. And I don't, I'm, I know McKnight, I think, was having problems with his back and just his mental state at that time, which was pretty easy to do. I mean, you're early on in the race, and when things don't seem like they're going well early on in the race, you're probably asking yourself a hundred times, how the heck am I going to do this? You know, I'm 50 miles in or whatever it is, and I got 200 miles to go, and I'm already going like this. And, uh, I definitely hit that that in there already. Probably, I would say, in between mile fifty three, those two aid stations in sixty three at Camp Kippa, I was already thinking like, how how am I going to do this? You know, and 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 hearing that people had already gotten lost, some of the leaders had already you know went off the course and got some extra miles in, um, and. Yeah, and then it just that just kind of leads up to where I picked up the Pacers and and how much the Pacers really meant to my journey in Cocodona and stuff. But I mean, if you want to touch on a couple of those other aid stations in between there and Friendly, um, the only thing that really stands out to me is Camp Kipple was it was up there at high, pretty high elevation. There's still snow on the ground. It was windy. Um, the dust was coming off those those roads and just blasting everybody in the face, really. So we we're taking on a lot of dust, cold air, um, and getting in Camp Kip- I'm sorry, is that, is that where you could pick up your pacer at it? No, Camp Kippa was, um, the first pacer was friendly, but I didn't pick friendly. up the pacer until Whiskey Row. Okay. So, but Camp Kippa was an indoor aid station, probably because it's up there and cold and, uh, I remember walking there and kind of being out of it. It was it was at night. Um, yeah, I think pretty sure it was at night, or it could have been actually like first light, which was still at night. It's probably like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. The sun comes up pretty early there, and uh, it, it was cold. I was tired. The aid station was pr- pretty warm, and I got in there and I was sitting on the couch and I was just kind of zoning out thinking about sleeping, but I really just wanted to get down to Friendly and um, see Grace. Grace had been volunteering there. I just wanted to get there and see her and just kind of reset and um, got down into Friendly. I believe it was around 9 or 10 a.m. And the plan was that I was going to sleep, but I had a pacer coming in from Stockton, California that drove 12 hours there. And he was waiting at Whiskey Row, and I just kind of wanted to get to Whiskey Row and, and evaluate stuff from Whiskey Row. So um, she she taped me up and on to Whiskey Row I went. It was only eight more miles um, down and into the town of Prescott and got into a little bit of pavement. I think there was about three miles of pavement that was not the best sight to see. And definitely was pretty slow going com- coming onto the pavement after all the uphills and then downhill. Because from Camp Kippa, it really dropped in elevation coming down into Prescott and was still pretty pretty rocky, pretty rocky at times. Um, and yeah, I just got, got to Whiskey Row and just kept continuing on. So, and, and it was, it was Prescott's, an, it was a nice town. I mean, my, my particular opinion is it's, it's real hard to get into these towns. Um, when you're in these ultra marathons and you go back to civilization where cars are driving and there's normal people functioning and you know their everyday lives and um, it's it's not easy to do i think for the crews it's great because they can go visit these towns and get to see parts of arizona that they probably wouldn't normally visit and stuff and makes it accessible for people to rent hotels and have places to stay and all that but as far as from a runner standpoint of it, or my opinion, that's one thing that I could have done without is coming into towns. <laughs> yeah. Now you said you got up to Camp Kip and you'd had, had some thoughts about, um, I still got a long way to go and all that stuff was kind of creeping in a little bit. 
but uh, had the first part of the race really gone like he thought it was going to go, like he kind of predicted, because you, from your research, you did. Um, it it did, but it. I think what the the one thing that I, I don't know. I I mean I took it into account, but the one thing that got me was I felt like I was out there for a lot longer than than I was. I think going into that second day, I was even seeing people for a second time sometimes and being like, oh, been a while since I've seen you. And they're like, yeah, last night. And I'm just like, damn, don't remind me of that. <laughs> like it, it seems like it was last week sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just, a long stretch just, to be on your own. Yeah. I think just, just that early with those, those A stations and that distance, you just, you start losing track of time and it's, Obviously, you just try to go from one aid station to the, the next. And I knew I at that point all I needed was a break, you know, of something positive in my favor. And I was looking forward to getting pacers and stuff. And and that 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 did that re, that reset me. I think getting the pacer and whiskey row, I was I was still tired. I hadn't slept at that point um, going into the second day. And um, yeah, Landon was he was great. He's He's a young kid, about 30 years old, and he was really good with navigation. And at the point where I just didn't really feel like looking at my phone, and he was navigating us out of um, Whiskey Row and by a, um, I don't know, it was a state park, but Watson Lake. And there's some pretty good scrambling around some rocks and different different stuff like that in this park. And um, at night, I've heard that it's pretty challenging to find the path through there. And wasn't bad during the day but it was definitely some scrambling over some rocks and then from there we just got on a, a a bike trail you know and electric bikes zooming past us and seeing a horny toed lizard and just just getting down this trail and um and then that takes us into iron king which was pretty much in an area where i imagine three years ago may not have been much of anything they're all new houses it's all new development this is continuing to, to grow around this aid station and it's literally right in the middle of this huge development of i imagine most of it retirement homes or vacation homes or whatever because they got the you know the the rv parking garages you know and just just nice houses and um, being able to be with landon i it, it was it was good i was still tired at that point uh, I knew I had a big day ahead of me. Um, there was no real sleep place at Iron King. And then we got into, from Iron King, it was only six more miles to Fane Ranch. And that was like the one that they all talked about because they had the massage therapist there and the, the, the boots that you put on that massage your legs and do whatever, all that stuff. And that was the halfway point, or not the halfway point. I guess that was a 100-mile point. The 98 miles, but... They had a finish line there, which I don't know was a good thing because I, I joked around when I crossed it. It was like, oh, I'm dropping down to the 100 mile or I'm done. <laughs> and, and it was kind of like one of those aid stations where you think was thinking, man, they're trying to keep me here. You know, they're playing the, the funk music and like the psychedelic stuff. Like I feel like I was back in like uh, the, uh, the 70s or 60s or something and it was just a, a weird vibe there. It was, it was fun. They had good food there. Um, I believe that was where they had the spaghetti. And they also had something that like a local chef was making these different things. And they did have some really good stuff there. I did get a massage there. I did use the boots. Um, the massage felt good. I'm not, I'm not sold on those boots. I feel like, I feel like they're, they, they may be, but some hype involved in that, but <laughs> um yeah so landon and i got out of there um out of fane ranch and headed to mingus um let's see here try to backtrack i don't know if at some point in there we went across a bunch of cattle fields and i guess that was from iron king to fane ranch and then i think it was a little bit oh yeah it was both and i think there was some more from fane ranch to mingus and that was basically just going across fields that had little cactuses hidden in it the flags were in the grass another area that for the most part we went through during the day and then the second half of it um, before mingus mountain 
it started getting getting dark and a little bit harder to navigate and we basically were going down this fence line bob wire fence line for miles and we're going over um wood and metal ladders that kind of cross over these properties bob wire fences and trying to balance and get over those on tired legs some of them weren't balanced that great like a couple of them i really made sure i had my weight centered on them because one of them did a a willy when i stepped on the step and I, <laughs> and, uh, it was it was it was definitely some interesting times for sure and and at that point i was struggling i was i was tired going into 48 hours of no sleep and um getting up to mingus mountain was steep um landon my friend he started he started hitting a little wall himself and was he was trying to stay positive but he was hurting his quads were hurting and he was he was questioning himself and and me like how the heck do you do this you know this is <laughs> this is crazy and um uh, yeah we got up to mingus mountain and i was kind of i was kind of in a bad i would say that was probably where i was at my worst part in the race is at mingus mountain coming in there i text grace and i told her i was like if i don't get some sleep here i'm dropping i'm done so I need to get some sleep. I was pretty grumpy. Um, got some food and got a little bit of sleep. Finally got a little bit of broken up sleep. I'd say maybe an hour altogether of some broken up sleep, trying to sleep there in the car at the hay station with people making noise and slamming doors and shining lights in the car and everything else. But uh, yeah, uh, so that's, that's that. And at that point, um, we decided that Grace was going to pace me down and my friend from Stockton was going to go ahead and go back. He was, he felt like that was the best idea. He was, he was pretty sore at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, I heard, uh, listen to Chad Wright's recap. He talked about Mingus, like it was pretty, pretty tough out there. Um, he, uh, I, I want to say, did you hit that? I didn't catch it. Did you hit Mingus at, daylight or were you in the dark on mingus because i think one it was either him or somebody else hit it at dark and it was pretty dang cold from what i understand um i hit it at dark it wasn't it wasn't too cold um the night and in that particular area i don't believe i don't remember it being that cold i remember when i woke up i was a little cold but for the most part it wasn't cold um i must have hit it at it had to be around midnight i guess or something oh well it was that i remember saying it was at 48 hours getting into 110 miles so i think i was right around that 48 hour 50 hour mark and was just imagining you know of being at mile 220 um really at 100 hours and i thinking back on that we probably weren't too far off from that really so yeah probably is, is that where you text chance as well so i think you texted him during the race didn't you yeah you did oh, i think i did i think i did say oh that's a good that point um yeah i think i text him saying it's a good thing you guys are coming out here because i i need i might have just dropped if i wasn't you know expecting you guys to come into town and be here for me so yeah that's another huge factor and that that was joking and funny at the time but in all aspects there was a lot of truth to that because it, it kind of held me accountable to sit there and say hey man these guys are flying out from texas they got their flights already the last thing i want to do is call and tell them hey i dmf man i freaking i'm done you know and uh yeah so that was <laughs> that was big so i think i was definitely around that point and i think it was that was that was hard because I was in a bad place and then my pacer kind of got in a little bit of a bad place with soreness and stuff so we both literally came limping in to mount mingus on this you know dirt road up top of this that mountain and i guess i guess thinking back i guess it was a little cold it definitely was colder with us later on in the race though in muns and stuff in that area um for sure got a lot colder i got you well, whenever you got Grace, I guess she swapped out at Mingus, like you said. Was that kind of another little shot of adrenaline for you and the energy kind of renewed as she came into that race to help you out with pacing? Yeah, 100%. She, she always 
um, just like in Moab, it was for the last 70 miles really of that race. And um, in that particular time, it was, it was perfect. It was perfect time. It was just what I needed. And in this race, it was no different. It was, it was just what I needed. I, I needed to be around her. I needed to see her more, you know, cause you start missing people when you're in a race like this and just having her with me and getting down Mingus mountain and watching that sunrise um, that day and really coming down a tough part of the course that other people I've seen talking about how bad it was coming down Mingus mountain. And it was still rocky and just not a fun descent at all. Um, I didn't really notice that. Um, I think I was more focused on just being with her and just having fun and joking around and stuff. And, um, and then, then, then also planning and starting looking forward, um, looking ahead to what we had ahead of us and stuff and planning that out. And I'd planned to just, I told her, I was like, you just get me down in Jerome and it'll be light. And then I'll from Jerome, I'll just go to dead horse, um, by myself. So you can reset, you can go back and get the car. Cause we had my, my friend and my boss from work, um, kind of switched roles and she was driving so they had to drive to Sedona and check in a room and do some stuff with some vehicles and get some stuff set up and um, allowed her to do that while from Jerome to Dead Horse and I, I definitely missed her in that section but I'm definitely was uh, a good good choice to keep her fresh and give her a little bit of break because I, I needed her for the, the remaining part of that until you guys showed up absolutely because she grabbed 17 miles there but um if i'm not mistaken she did end up doing a total of about 70 you said right i think she did like 62 we can kind of do the math once we once we figure it out she typically ends up doing at least 62 it seems like that's the that 100k that's she's a 100k pacer 100k that's also that's a pretty solid pacer if you can get 100 100k out of them yeah for sure and then not to mention you'd mentioned it a couple of times but kind of wanted to dive into it a little bit more she's a she's an absolute rock star with that tape um, and making sure your feet are um getting where you need them to be and and preventing blisters and all that good stuff too so i i don't know how many aid stations we saw her redoing the tape on your feet but y'all got a system down that's just phenomenal yeah she's um we just kind of with her volunteering and seeing what other medics do and then getting a book called fixing your feet and kind of looking at techniques of that we've just really learned to to take care of the feet and then obviously just seeing where i've gotten blisters in the past with bigfoot i had some really deep blisters and seeing where those were and just kind of pre-taping for it and preparing for them and she really does a clean job of just really capsulating the toes and to where there's no uh creases in the tape or nothing they just really covered up well and it, it definitely helps a lot helps a lot to not have beat up feet <laughs> but we will talk about that later on because we did have right at the end we did have a little bit of a beat up feet but that was kind of unexpected and a little frustrating but we can get into that a little later <laughs> Yeah, no, we're we're headed that direction for sure. We're, yep. gonna, we're gonna hit on that one. And so you ran down down the mountain basically from Mingus down to Jerome, and then ended up at Dead Horse. Um, and then did you did you pick her back up at Dead Horse there, uh, headed towards Deer Park? Yeah, yeah, I did. And and Dead Horse was you know coming down into that's a state park, and it was sandy, and they kind of just wind you through this state park, and you end up in a parking lot and they had some good food there i uh devoured three full-size texas tacos even though that they only wanted to give me two i finally was able to talk them into a third one <laughs> big guy come on yeah right <laughs> oh man oh yeah only only doing 250 miles i don't need need two tacos three tacos but, right? but they were texas tacos you know everything in texas is big <laughs> that's awesome yeah, no, I, from the little bit we got to see it spin with you at the aid stations, I, I have no doubt you destroyed the three Texas tacos <laughs> out there. And then some, I think I ate some other stuff too there for sure. But yeah, from uh, from Dead Horse, I, I 
we picked back up and headed to Deer Pass, and that was, you know, it was it was still pretty warm in that section. It was breezy, but it was back to being kind of exposed. It was sandy desert, um, not much shade. Uh, so it just kind of just took took it easy through there. I was I was in and out of feeling good and then not feeling the greatest through there. And then we came into Deer Pass. It was already getting it already getting dark and cooling off. I think it was dark for about an hour or so before we came into that aid station. That one says it was 13 miles. That one in particular felt like to even other people. They said that felt like 17 or 20 miles across there. It just it seemed like the aid station would never come. And there was other people that kind of followed us in that we kind of woke up. I guess on the trail when we passed them, they just kind of followed us in and they said the same thing. They're like, man, I just it felt like it was never going to end. And I think they were starting to have a little issues with the navigation too and just being tired. So they kind of picked up on just having a pacer. Anybody that sees a fresh pacer that their head's on a little bit better than them, they kind of, you know, they feed off that. We've seen it later on in the race too. And you definitely see that out there it's kind of that energy draw like man this guy looks like he's knows where he's at <laughs> he's still fresh yeah is that is that kind of a point in the race where you started really seeing some people um get into some of those negative spots was that was that one of the first spots or did it come a little bit later or earlier i mean i've seen it throughout the whole race but in that particular place i think there was a lot of people that i was realizing that was kind of in the same boat that i was that hadn't slept a lot that tried to sleep and couldn't sleep and um yeah i just get in i got into that aid station and it was kind of an interesting aid station i think they're i think they're uh the volunteers were having a little bit of booze and stuff and kind of loud and obnoxious and in a way and i wasn't kind of in the mood but i kind of went with it and we there was kind of some joking conversations there that maybe we could leave, leave off the podcast <laughs> yeah. it, had it had something to do with being a foot model but it was asleep oh. with that <laughs> I remember that that story <laughs> that's awesome and and then i couldn't i didn't even I think I tried to sleep there and couldn't, and I just told Grace, I was like, let's just go. And we got we got on the trail, and I don't even think we were down the trail a half mile, and I said, let's lay down. And she was like, oh, it's going to be too cold, and you're not going to be able to sleep. And I was like, well, even if we could sleep for a little bit, let's just lay down. And we laid down, and I was just holding, holding her, and I think that was big, too, because it's just, you know, it's just like being at home at that point. You have somebody there that, you know, you can feel their presence and stuff, and and just laid down in the desert and she had her coat over her legs and i think it was like two hours to two and a half hours later we woke up and i didn't even know where i was at i was, I was in a big fog it, the clouds had rolled in and actually it started raining um we didn't feel the rain at that time but shortly down the trail we there were some raindrops and it was just it was just weird i i had a little bit of trouble waking up i just wanted to go back to sleep but that sleep was huge. Really, the only big sleep I got during the whole event, and right, right there, just laying in the, in the sand off the trail. And I remember hearing people walking by, and but I was in a deep enough sleep that I was just able just to keep nodding back out. And I remember nudging her one time, telling her she was snoring loud and stuff. Because at, at that point, she really wasn't sleeping very much either. So we were both just pretty exhausted. Man. Well, that, yeah, that sounds like it made a world of difference coming out of that section, especially where people were starting to really feel the effects of being 150 miles almost into a 250-mile uh, a ultramarathon. Um, do you know how many hours you were in at that point to the race? Ooh, let's see. Well, we're coming into we're, – we're headed towards Sedona at that point, and we came into Sedona on – this sunrise so that would have been what sunrise the third day yeah the third day well yeah the third day so you had the sunrise at the beginning and then the sunrise coming down mingus and then the other sunrise coming into sedona so, so yeah 72 ish hours with yeah uh two running off of pretty much two two and a half hours of sleep the entire time. 
I know that you said you got that hour up at Mingus. Uh, I think it was with Mingus. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I got like, I think she timed me coming down Mingus. I think I took a seven minute nap too in the, in the rocks. <laughs> there you go. So man, just minimal sleep through 72 hours. And after that two hour nap, I know you said it took you a little bit of while to get back in the, the swing of things, but did you feel kind of a little bit more fired up or a little bit more, uh, aware of everything and moving a little bit better for Sedona? I definitely felt like that was like the turning point for me to, to not only just the distance getting closer, you know, you're, you're under a hundred miles to the finish, but just having just this refreshed, knowing that you guys are coming, that are going to be fresh. And I'm already thinking ahead of what that's going to mean and how it's going to play out. Uh, just, just that, mental visualization of how it was going to play out with you guys pacing me and and her being there was that was the key for me really to to go there i mean there were so many factors before where it was like you know i might make this then you know but it doesn't look like i'm going to it was just you know it was just like dropping back to chad right he did a post about maybe and that's that's definitely there's a lot of truth to that you know you you're out there and you get to the point where you're like, I maybe make this, you know, I, I maybe have enough mental strength to get me through this. And there's just so many factors with crew and just timing of things that make it, that can make the difference and make and break it. I mean, that's how the degree of separation between the DNF for, and this isn't for everybody, but for me is very fine. I mean, it's sure I could, you know, get over adversity and, can say oh i'd push through this i could push through that and i very well could but um just having people there in that those times was absolutely huge and really even if i would have made it i wouldn't have been in, a, in as good a mental place as i was and having the amount of fun i was having really at that point of the race you know um to go from i'm never doing this again and honestly looking on ways to get out of kd225 and some of the other ones i signed up for so to really you know towards the end of being like what else is there to do you know when's the next one <laughs> absolutely no that's that's awesome and it's cool to see that mental shift because i just getting that message from you back um wow, a couple days into the race out whenever you're at mingus um i started to get a little worried about you and then I think, uh, not to jump ahead, but by the time we had gotten there, um, a couple of A-station past where we're at now, I mean, seeing you come in and you seemed like you were pretty eager to go, pretty excited. And and that was cool to to really grab a hold of that and see it. I mean, we even fed off of that as well. Um, but before we jump into that, um, coming out of Sedona, you had a pretty good climb uh, headed up to, uh, is it Sleepily? Yeah. At 179, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, that that has uh, there's a water crossing and then a pretty big climb, and there was a water station up there. I really didn't use the water station, it was it clouded up and was windy that day, it was fairly cool. Uh, I imagine going up that and it was a little warmer, I'm sure, for other people, different days or whenever they came through, it could have been hard. Um that that climb was wasn't that bad to me i think i was in a good place and um grace struggles a little bit on on hills and she was, felt like she was slowing me down but honestly she really wasn't because it was a perfect pace for me to just kind of kind of relax and just do it easy you know it was easy on my body i didn't push myself i didn't uh, really elevate the heart rate too much and I think it, it set me up for later on in the race again, too, because I think I could really let my ego get ahead of me right there. And if I was by myself or with somebody faster and just hammer that hill and really pay for it, you know, because I'm not really thinking clearly at that point in the race. And then I push myself real hard up that hill. And I, I think it could have gone a lot differently there, too, because reading some people's reports on that section, that was a hard one for them. They just sound like it was just the climb from hell and just all kinds of you know the water crossing was it did i think that is where i kind of kicked my calluses in um that that i'd had and i think i did get the one heel blister from that water crossing and that was because the the um 
the the tape had come off and we didn't i kind of ran out of socks at that point and i put on a pair of socks that weren't even big enough for me um i actually found some at the water station <laughs> it's the reason why i changed out the socks because there was a pair of small and gingy so if anybody's listening to this and lost a pair of socks i have them <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh man but, but uh yeah i just kind of put these and I think the heel was in the wrong place, the little, the heel slot. I think that would contribute definitely to the one callus that I did have and, or the blister I had. And also just that river kind of softening up those calluses a little bit and uh, allowing them to get blisters underneath of them. So, yeah, absolutely. Man, I can I can see that. That's lucky that you found that that pair of socks though coming out of that hill, even to, to get your foot some kind of relief, even if it did have kind of a kind of a rough spot. Because I know with the sand and all the conditions, it was back and forth probably for a long time out there over the course of that race. Yeah, and I was expecting my socks to dry faster crossing that river, but I think just because it was a little cooler and windy. Mm-hmm. They didn't really. They didn't really dry as fast as fast as I would have hoped. I, I don't think it was a contributing factor either way to blisters. Even if I would have took off my shoes and tried to cross the creek, I think I would have still had the same result because I would have lost my tape. And she didn't have the tape with her because um, it wasn't in the car at Sedona um, when my boss had came. So she didn't have the tape. Normally, she would, you know, try to throw the tape in the bag and stuff and kind of be a mobile aid station but weren't able to do that so um yeah into that schnibbly or however you say that i i don't really remember that aid station but from there i i let her take another break and just told her to get get the car cleaned up that i wanted to try to take a rest before kicking off with you because i was just planning on just tackling the rest of the race and and going um was my was my game plan is to try to get rest there and um you guys came in a little later there which was wasn't a problem it gave me some time to get off my feet and try to rest i wasn't really successful in the rest category there as much as i would have really liked to at that point um i don't think at all i think maybe if i did it was 10 minutes i can't remember i'd have to ask grace that but i definitely was uh, the curse of the aid stations you know you pull somewhere off away from everybody and some guy in uh RV comes up and starts doing construction on his on his motor home or trailer freaking with a drill. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I remember you telling me that too and and not being able to get sleep cuz we felt terrible. Um we got I I had gotten my flight delayed about an hour total. Uh maybe a little bit more than that. So we're expecting to get out there at I think in the eight o'clock hour and didn't get out till almost 10. Um, so we were feeling really bad about, about delaying you, but I'm glad it, it gave you a little bit of time for hopefully a bit of rest and recovery, even if there was a couple of guys out there <laughs> making all kinds yeah, of Yeah, I mean, it, the rest and recovery was huge. I think Grace was able to clean up my feet and and dress them pretty good there and just being able to get off my feet. And, and um, my sinuses were tore up at that point. I was, you know, blowing blood out of my nose and was just – dry and couldn't breathe which was contributing to not being able to sleep too because once i got in the car especially and tried to lay down my nose was just completely plugged up and it was between not being able to breathe through your nose and the drainage it was pretty hard pretty hard to relax really yeah i know well just from us being out there the short time that we were the dust and the wind were extreme factors in that because i i my nose became stopped up very quickly um i can't imagine what you went through out there for days in the in the lower parts where it was really dusty and and in that desert spot with so many such heavy foot traffic up and like the bottlenecks in the early stages of the race when everybody was close together um but yeah we we made it out to mums park about 10 o'clock and were able to join you um right before the 200 mile mark i think about 190 and uh and that was that was cool we just kind of jumped out the car grabbed the gear packed as whatever we could into the bag um probably went a little light on clothes looking back on that yeah yeah but, uh, but man we grabbed everything and then jumped out and took off you know 
All right, guys, I hate to do it to y'all, but we're going to throw on the brakes right here and we're going to stop and pick up next week for part two of this awesome story of the Coconut 250 and just generally who Dan Gilliam is. Uh, super excited to share this story with y'all and have the opportunity to just share a fantastic conversation and just give y'all a glimpse into how this guy inspires me every single day with the things that he does. You can find him on Instagram, Bigfooted Ultra Adventures. That's Bigfooted underscore Ultra Adventures on Instagram. Make sure you check him out. But more importantly, make sure you follow up with this podcast. You're not going to want to miss that next week as we sit down and finish this episode with Dan. Y'all take it easy and always be prepared for whatever is next in line.